Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Hello and welcome back. Professor Alison Taylor from the University of British Columbia has spent her career looking at the interplay between students, education, work and the economy. Alison is currently in the middle of a large longitudinal research project tracking undergraduate students across the university studies and looking at how students manage to juggle their academic work, part-time employment and all their other life commitments. So we sat down to chat about this really important aspect of education. Starting off with Alison reflecting on the enduring issues and questions that have sustained her interest in this topic over the past 25 years. I have been interested in um, this area for some time, starting with my work on high school apprentices and, and more recently looking at undergraduates in their term time work. And I suppose I've always been interested in the kind of relationship between education and the economy and the, the kind of demands and pressures put on education because of uh, some of the changes in the economy. So, for example, uh, we see more and more interest in uh, graduates' transitions to the workplace. I know in Canada, I don't know if it's true in Australia, there's a lot of talk about work-integrated learning. Yeah. And there's also um, concern about the changes caused by technologies like artificial intelligence. And, and so I think it's interesting to think about, you know, what is going on in relation to these discourses and what they, what, what they do to education. Um, in particular, I think there are calls to improve students' employability skills and then to reduce the degree of mismatch between graduates and jobs. And also, um, I would say I have a concern that some many of the strategies are, are, are more inclined to focus on education as the problem and, and supply-side solutions. But it's interesting that you've mentioned that you're interested on the demands and pressures put on education, but your work focuses a lot on the actual students, the young people themselves, which I think is really, really interesting. And actually kind of brings out the ways that young people engage in education as a kind of future, future orientation. Can you talk a little bit about what you found about students and young people's approaches to engaging with education? Education is the site of future making. All of my research really has been focused on trying to understand student, young people's experiences. And it's clear from um, the current study I'm engaged in, which is a mixed methodology, longitudinal study of undergraduates in part-time work, and what I've seen in that is that undergraduates feel a great deal of pressure to have a career plan. Um, many are in applied degrees. And even when they're in more general programs like science, there's a lot of pressure to decide on a major. They have a short period. It seems the periods of exploration are getting shorter and shorter. And then many undergraduates, because of the cost of their education, are relying on parents to help fund studies, which also adds pressure. So they are future-oriented for sure, and that was interesting to see just how future-oriented they are. And um, I, recently I've been looking at a book by Barbara Adams and Chris Groves, where they talk, it's called Future Matters, and, they, and they're talking about different ways of relating to the future. Because it's interesting to me that students don't all relate, of course, in the same way. 
And so, and how, so how do they see the future? Is it something that they feel is quite open and they can do whatever they want, or is it more constrained and are they quite aware of their limit, the limitations, right? And so um, it's not surprising maybe that our uh, analysis to this point suggests that more privileged students see it as more open than, than other students. And um, it's also interesting how much undergraduates, despite those who see it as more limited, they, they all seem to place a huge amount of faith in hard work and educational credentials as the ticket to kind of professional jobs. Um, however, that there are contradictions, and that's what I'm finding really interesting in the um, analysis is looking at some of those contradictions. Sometimes within the same interview, a student will say one thing, and then uh, five minutes later, they are kind of um, thinking again about it or thinking about it in a different way. And certainly over time, we see, we see contradictions. Because the future is essentially unknowable, uncertain, unpredictable. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to grapple with it. But I mean, lots of the things you've just said there, individual planning, you know, paying lots of money and funding, having faith in the meritocracy. I mean, that kind of shines a light on the flip side of education, the kind of particularly neoliberal education as a site of risk and individualization. How are you finding these kind of neoliberal conditions of, you know, choice and diversity and market forces? How's it playing out? You mentioned you saw differences between students. I mean, is that along lines of class, race? I mean, how, how is this work? How are the logics of the system working out? I mean, I again, education and work are seen, you know, again, to varying degrees as incredibly risky. And I would give the example of uh, international students who are, are paying, you know, four or five times the tuition or up to six times the tuition, depending on the program. But um, when you look at, again, if you think of then the high cost of decision making for those students, it's maybe it's not surprising then that it's, it's many were less likely to change their programs. They were less likely to extend their degrees. They were far more deliberate and driven. Um, some of the, the students we interviewed were working, you know, incredible amounts of time in different things, unpaid work, paid work and, and different areas. And so that would be one example of, you know, kind of domestic and international differences. I think also st we found that students who've worked, say, since high school, they've been 14 years old and, and they would, we, because we did, we've done various kinds of data collection, we, we asked them about choices since high school. So we have a good sense of what they did even back then. And so if they came from, you know, families where they were working because they had to work, money was tight. Um, we find that they may continue in those kind of jobs when they get to university. They may be more comfortable in those settings and they may be less uh, likely or um, confident in seeking out, say, highly competitive career, uh, you know, more career relevant jobs. And so um, I think you do see differences for sure based on class, based on, um, as I say, international, domestic. I think for, um, we've, we've interviewed students with disabilities and definitely they are facing particular challenges. And we are interested in issues of race and ethnicity. Many of our, um, we have a very, very diverse student um, group and many of the students are children of immigrants, you know. And so again, depending on their, also the intersections with social class, there, there are some interesting experiences that I think differentiate, yeah, um, students and, and, and their perceptions of risk, their perceptions of, what they need to do, the kind of um, sense of responsibility that you, you mentioned. 
Yeah, and, and kind of knowing the rules of the game. And as you say, there are all sorts of kind of capitals at play here. I mean, when we talk about work and education, it's really tempting to see it, things as a very kind of smooth pathway. We talk a lot about transitions. You transition in, through and out of education, which gives us an idea of a sense of movement. But I mean, language really matters in this kind of research. I'm really interested in the terminology that best captures what's going on here. So you talked about plans. Other people talk about trajectories, educational careers, pathways. How do you talk about and conceptualise the ways in which students move through education and the economy? Um, I think that what we have found is that there is not one single transition. I mean, it used to be when I graduated um, that, you know, you would go from full-time studies pretty much into full-time work. That doesn't happen anymore for students and so, and also there is, as we've talked, um, alluded to a little bit here, um, a lot of risk even associated with students getting ready to, like almost preparing their graduate portfolio um, as, they, as they leave the institution. So there, the, the, the individualization is not only about, you know, which courses you take and which programs you take. It's also a lot about now about what kind of work you do, what kind of experience you have, what kind of voluntary and, and, and paid work experiences. And, and we actually had students draw life maps, like we, um, we had them engage in a visual portrayal. And so what was interesting is how they, like some students of course do do the, you know, the linear that I made a decision at this point and, and um, you know, this one followed this one, but a, a number of them talked about, had kind of spirals, they had, you know, kind of a zigzag. So I think that the patterns, if you want to put it that way, of, you know, movement in time and space for students is far more complex and, and um, you know, not... So the, the notion of pathways, yeah, I think is limited. Particularly, I guess, in terms of the contemporary student experience. So, I mean, the idea of transitions or pathways presumes a kind of linear stability and structure. But I mean, what do these kind of schoolwork patterns now look like for the young people that you're talking to in the current times of precarity? So, I mean, as you alluded to, these are students that have had unpaid jobs, part-time hustles since high school. I mean, what does is, what is going through and in and out of education look like for these, these, these precarious um, generation? Well, what's, I mean, what was very interesting for us, first of all, is that um, many of these students are not going out um, into the work world after they complete their undergraduate degree. So more and more, at least half of the 57 we spoke to are actually going to grad school or professional, further professional education. And so I think that, again, when I was an undergraduate degree or I was in an undergraduate degree, that was kind of seen as the, you know, terminal in certain ways. And um, now it's, it's, it's very clear that many, many students are thinking that they need more than an undergraduate degree, which is kind of surprising. Um, so transitions are extended. And what seemed to be interesting um, to share as well is that students see this period of combining school and work in some ways, as I would call it, and I'm not the only one, others have talked about training bodies for um, kind of anticipated rhythms of, of um, you know, work. And so we would hear students saying, you know, I know I'm going to be working for, um, you know, this in this career and probably 60 hour work weeks. So this is good for me to learn how to do this now. <laughs> so, you know, and so the kind of preparation it was also, um, yeah, kind of interesting. And of course, we also know the getting to the point about precarity that 
that they're doing this because they want to try to increase the certainty that they will get the kind of work that they want. And of course, research shows that um, that is not necessarily the case. I, I think I would refer in the Canadian context to, you know, David Livingston and others' work that is focused on, you know, what is actually going on for professional employees. And he talks about proletarianization. Um, and of course, um, other work talks about underemployment. And so I think that is also a reality that is, is uh, of course, makes students even more, well, it should make them maybe less concerned about getting the skills, but in fact, it actually, I think, the, to get the kind of job they think they want, they, they work even harder. I think that's a really interesting way that methodology draws out the nuances. And it's really interesting hearing you talking about the methods you were using to engage students with your research. I mean, what kind of methods do you find actually kind of really resonated? You talk about kind of graphic novels, you talked about kind of guy, I mean, what, what medium kind of struck your, your students in particular? Yeah, you know, we did, um, we've, we've um, collected data in a variety of ways and tried to um, include students in the data collection in, the, in ways that would engage them um, and keep them in the project or keep them interested in the project. And so in the first year, we did focus group, initial focus group interviews, and then we um, had undergraduate research assistants conduct life maps with students in, in pairs. So one other, you know, a small uh, group, And then we had them do their own um, self-recordings of, and we called them audio diaries, as they went to and from school and to and from work. And, and part of that was reflecting on, again, big picture questions, right? We would give them prompts and they would record themselves. Um, so I think that those opportunities, the feedback from students was that it actually really helped some of the students reflect themselves on what they were doing and why they were doing it and what their priorities were and what their trade-offs were. So it was kind of gratifying um, in that regard. And hopefully some of the students, you know, benefited in, uh, from that. And, and then we also becoming aware as well that some students are really facing a lot of challenges in, in work, in the workplace. We, we had a, held a session that we co-organized with the student center on campus and they, and they um, it was on rights, rights at work. And so I think that, um, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the most valuable things that critical research can do is just shine a light on issues and say things out loud and actually kind of let students realise that they're not alone in experiencing these issues. I mean, that's already really an excellent way of kind of engaging in research. But I just got one final question. I mean, longitudinal studies are, are huge, but one of the beauties of them is that they throw up all sorts of things that you weren't expecting. So has there been one thing that surprised you, one finding that you've kind of come across, or one issue or topic that's arisen during the longitudinal study that's particularly surprised you or intrigued you? I, I'm not sure if there's one, <laughs> but I think that, um, I mean, because it's longitudinal, if you're focused, you know, if, we're, if I'm talking just about that part, the, the changes in students, the, um, yeah, I think when students change a program or they change, you know, the kind of work they're doing and then they reflect on it, it's it's interesting to hear how they are making sense of that. I mean, the other thing that we, you know, is quite apparent is is that students do different things in year one and year four of their programs around term time work. If we had just stopped at year one or two, we would have a completely different idea of of the 
you know, the experiences that these students have. And I'll give you just a, a very concrete example. Many of them do cooperative education as well in, in third and fourth year. And, and again, we're, our focus, our study is not focused specifically on that, but of course they talk about it. And so I guess it's trying to, you know, we always have this idea that we're neatly going to bound our study. We're just going to talk to them about term time work. Well, no, they talk about their co-op. They talk about their families. They talk about all of the things that are going on that are, you know, part of the, the picture and the changes that go on over time. If we had only looked at these students at one point in time, it would have been uh, a quite a different, you know, uh, set of papers I'd be, we'd be writing. And that's the hallmark of good critical research. I mean, clearly, the thing that you're looking at is complex, but to be able to explain how it's complex and why it's complex and with what outcomes, I guess, is, is, is really good. Well, that's been super interesting, Alison. Thanks ever so much for taking the time to talk about what is a fascinating study and good luck with kind of getting it all finished. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your, your interest in time.